I want to thank you all for joining us today. My name is Victoria Angeny and I'm the student coordinator for the Roxboro Roundtables. Today our topic is going to be gerrymandering and our host is going to be John Redstock. Yes, I'm John Redstock. I am an employee of Jefferson. I work in the Office of Institutional Advancement in East Falls. I am also here as a representative of Fair Districts PA. Uh, my co-host is Sarah Strong. Yeah, uh, I am a computer programmer with um, Acubia. Um, I'm here representing Fair Districts PA as well. My name is Karen Tatum. I'm a volunteer with Fair Districts PA, and I'm also an alum of Philadelphia College of Textile and Sciences. Laura Richland, I am the Northwest Coordinator for Fair Districts Pennsylvania, and I am also a professor in uh, SCPS here at Jefferson University. I'm Alex, a uh, freshman, finance major. Evan Lane, director of the Spectre Center. Latrell Fridman, program director and assistant professor of communication at Jefferson on the East Falls campus. Colin Murphy, I'm a communications student. Uh, Hillel Levinson, professor of international law here at Jefferson University. Alright, so the topic of the panel is gerrymandering, what it is, why it's happening, and what effects it's having on the state and the nation. Uh, so we're going to start just by defining it. What is gerrymandering? Anybody want to jump in, or should I lay out a definition? So, do you want me to talk about like its beginnings and then jump into like what it is? I guess whatever you're comfortable doing. Okay. Uh, so, the term gerrymandering is a really weird term. Um, it actually came from uh, 1812, um, where a governor, um, last name Gary or Gary, however you want to say it, I don't, I don't really mind. Um, he made a district that actually looked like a, a salamander. And because of that, this wonderful term was created for... I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, essentially, though, it is to uh, finagle with districts um, which would you know, possibly have given advantage to um, one party or another, uh, and oftentimes does. Anybody else want to add another definition? Well, the only comment I would make is it, it gives preference to the incumbent is basically what gerrymandering allows for. It also, it doesn't also help like the party that they're on as well? It's, uh, it's like, well, okay. It's like, you know, I'm more encompassing. Those in power, yeah, to make the districts. Yeah. But each district is controlled by the person in power in that district as to yeah, yeah, so it doesn't necessarily even just uh, um, favor the party in power, it favors the those in power of that given party. Yes. Um, so the rank and file aren't even, you know, they don't have a lot of say in it, per se. The, the trick about gerrymandering is that while the standard understanding of American democracy is that the voters choose their elected officials, Gerrymandering lets the elected officials choose their voters, which can 
pretty well lock up the votes before any are even cast. So if I could just ask for an example, if you have, say, um, a community, um, say it's um, Italian group, Little Italy kind of situation, mm -hmm. say this, this group historically has voted Democratic, so, and it's fairly large. If you can break that district up into smaller pieces as part of other groups, what happens to that voting block? It would severely dilute the power of that voting block. That's one of the three main forms of gerrymandering that you're talking about. It's cracking. Cracking? Yes. But what are the three? What's the other okay. Alex, you want to jump in first? No. Well, um, on the flip side, I guess you would say there happens to be um, a quite a large uh, amount of communities which seem to overwhelm the state uh, normally and normally be Republican. Um, then there be there might be one district or a few districts actually that may block together um, a lot of Democrat voters and essentially, I guess you would say, superficially create uh, a district favoring that side. So like also compacting people. So that's, so another, that's, a, that's, that's another number two. Form. Yeah. Okay, so that's so that's like, like John. Yes. Yeah. So now you have a third the, the, three, the three forms are cracking, packing, and the partisan handshake or the sweetheart deal. Cracking is where you take one community of interest or one large block of voters of a given party and separate them out into multiple districts so that they form a minority of several districts rather than a majority in one. That way, where they might have one district where they have great strength and a few around them where they are weaker, they would be weak in all of them and they don't receive any representatives where otherwise they would have at least one. Packing is the opposite, where you draw the boundaries so that all of the Democrats or all of the Republicans in an area are overwhelmingly combined into one district, so that rather than possibly winning a district by 60% to 40%, they win the district 90% to 10%, so that there are fewer members of that party to be allocated to the districts around it. They're sacrificing one district to strengthen the incumbents of the other party in the districts around it. The third form of gerrymandering is the partisan handshake. And that's where gerrymandering is less controlled by one party or the other, but by the people who have the greatest strength in both parties. They agree to put all of the Republicans, or a great deal of Republicans, in one district, and a great deal of Democrats in another district, to make those districts safe for the people who are you know, the party leaders, the people who they favor, the people they expect to be the party leaders of tomorrow, and those people who are in their party who they are a little less sure of, a little less happy with, they give them shakier districts with a more balanced mix. So they have to be beholden to the party leaders for support in future district drawing. So when you talk about districts, you talk about con con congressional districts or legislative districts, are they the same? It can be either. Now, in Pennsylvania, who gets to draw the districts is different between the congressional borders and the state legislative borders, but the process is the same. So you can be part of two districts, a legislative and a congressional. Everyone is part of 
uh, three districts, technically four. Your state assembly district, your state senate district, your congressional district, and the state which elects the senators. But do they have to be contiguous, these districts? All districts are required to be contiguous, but the trick is contiguity can be played with. The Pennsylvania 7th Congressional District, uh, Pat Nathan's district, it's known as Goofy Kicking Donald because people who look at it as a kind of a Rorschach block test, they kind of drew that image from it. At two points in the district, it narrows to the point where there is exactly one building separating the eastern and western lines of that district. Out in the west, two halves of the district are drawn specifically through Brandywine Hospital. No one votes there, no one is registered there. It is simply being used to stitch the two halves of the district together. That's Goofy's foot. Goofy's neck, on the other hand, stitching King of Prussia to the eastern part of the district is uh, Creed's Steakhouse yeah. in King of Prussia. The district narrows to the point where that building is the only one within the lines at that point, and then it expands out. And an interesting aside is that particular state house is a hangout for state uh, for politicos, and I, I'm sure there's no uh, coincidence in the fact that they drew this so that it included this particular state house. And something I'd like to add about the uh, sweetheart deal is it's pretty well known that uh, our current districts were agreed to by Democrats and Republicans. And generally, from what we have learned through speaking with uh, representatives in, 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 our, in our districts, is that the, those in power basically wield control over the rank and file so that they vote for the district, for the district map. They have no say whatsoever, so those in power tell them that. And those in power on both sides of the aisle have shaken hands and said, yep, we agree on this map. Um, so even though the state is heavily gerrymandered Republican, the Democratic, the, those in power on the Democratic side have agreed to this map and they helped kind of put it together. And the last go around, or maybe two go arounds before, the, the state was gerrymandered, Pennsylvania was gerrymandered more on the to um, in favor of the Democrats and um, folks in in Philadelphia were commanded to vote yes to the way things were set up. So it's been this has been a game in Pennsylvania for a long time, an unfair game. When we get into the fairness of it, I just want to understand the practicality of it because you, the definitions are clear now. When does this get done? I mean, is there any five or ten years? Is, could it be, is it done every 10 years? Is it done earlier than 10 years? It is done every 10 years uh, following the decennial census because after the census, we have to reapportion all the districts. Uh, once you know the population of the state, you know what an equal division of the state's populace is. Uh, for the 2010 census, it was somewhere in the vicinity of 705,000 people per district. Pretty sure um, it didn't actually it didn't actually start that way either. I thought um, you might remember uh, before the 1970s, um, one can look at this district 
of a different size than another. Yeah, the census is held in every 10 years, 2010, 2020, etc. The legislative districts generally don't get approved in time for the 2010 cents, for the 2010 election or the 2020 election. It takes a little time, so they generally go into effect for the following election. So the districts drawn in 2010 will still be in play in 2020, and new districts will be drawn for 2022. Could you explain reapportionment? Certainly. <clears throat> so, actually, I have a handout here, and if I can find it, it will make it easier for me to describe this rather than showing it from the top of my head. But, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I have to, I always have to kind of refresh my memory on this. So, the way I can describe it is Pennsylvania for the last um, couple of census periods has been losing population. So as population shift across the country, our congressional our congressional seats shift. So there are 435, I believe, congressional mm -hmm. seats. Those have to be apportioned throughout the entire country. So if people are moving out of Pennsylvania and they're moving into, say, Maryland, you would, you know, and enough move, enough shift happens, you would end up losing a seat in Pennsylvania. So whenever you lose a seat, that means your districts have to be, your congressional districts within PA have to be redrawn. And similarly, within the state, people move around. I am from central PA, I moved to Philly. A lot of people are moving into Philly. The population grows in Philly. You know, that might mean that Philly could potentially get another district, whereas another area in the, in the state might might lose, might lose some population and therefore lose a district, if that makes sense. Who does the drawing? How does that work? Oh, legislators. Yeah, so that depends. So for the, um, for the congressional maps, there are like some super savvy map, map drawers in Washington mm -hmm. that draw the maps and they kind of refine and fine tune it. They have all this data that they collect about all of us. And the, those map draws will just present the maps to our legislators, and our legislators will look at it and they'll pass it through as a bill. Um, I think similarly, it, it, similarly on the um, legend on the Pennsylvania General General Assembly, again you have this map these um, map professionals that are using all this data mining, but, but that one is presented to a commission, and that commission of five people, which are which are from our legislature as well. There are, there are lawmakers. In both, in both settings, our lawmakers are drawing maps. It's just they have professional map drawers with all this technology, data about all of us contributing and drawing those maps. And then they pick the one which is guaranteed. Whoever is in power picks the one that is guaranteed them a win. And it's all done behind closed doors. And very often, the legislators who have to vote on this are shown it and asked to vote on it immediately and don't have any. Yeah, like within a half an hour. So it's the state know. leadership typically that will decide that. So the um, proposed solution for this tries to get people that don't have access to that data in order to create these districts. How sure can we be that like they won't get access to that data or that process is not going to be corrupted? Tom? Uh, one of the elements of fair district solution is not that the data doesn't, obviously the data will still exist, but the programs that they use to help them construct the maps, 
they won't be allowed to program it into the map building software. So if the computer doesn't have it, it can't be incorporated into what they're doing. And what about the people who are... Yes. Now, the other thing that's going to change under the Fair District solution for gerrymandering is the construction of the commission. Uh, the current commission, where the legislative leaders in the House and the Senate get to decide who's on there, would be out the door. The independent commission would be formed of 11 members, four registered with the largest political party, four registered with the second largest political party, and three registered voters who are not registered with either of those parties. They would have to have held the same vote registration for at least three years, voted in two of the last three statewide elections. They have no uh, family member who's held public office in the last five years or served as a staff member consultant. There are several factors to ensure that they are independent of the current political system. So if I could add, the idea is that we all get that we all have our own positions on things and our own beliefs. So the best you can do to make independent and, and impartial is get to get people together that are more likely to work on a compromise and they have like all these rules behind that say what kinds of information they can use to come up with the map. So certainly they're going to have a map building tool that helps with them, but they can't use our voting history. They can't use um, our voter registration, they can't use things that they've used, race, like they use in North Carolina. I mean, that's a law as it is, but it can sometimes be hard to prove. But there's certain things that they use now that will be written into the legislation, into the constitutional amendment that is, this, is, this is being proposed for, that they wouldn't be allowed to use these things. They'd have to, they actually have to stick to the rule of compact and contiguous and similar amount of population. Really. Really, the only rules that they adhere to now are um, contiguous-ish, based off of what we described with the 7th District, right? And um, the population size, but compact, they certainly. But the, but the problem is, is how do you prove what's compact or not? And certainly, we could look at some of these maps in the way he described the 7th Congressional District and say, yeah, that's definitely not compact, but that's kind of the one where they get, they get more leeway and get away with it. Could you elaborate a little bit more on how it is that people are able to determine or draw a district where they know 70% of the people are going to be Republican or 70% of the people are going to be Democrat? Okay. Uh, a lot of this information, even going back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, and well before that, you would have a general idea, general understanding of who lives where, who votes where, from looking at previous elections, from just understanding what you hear when you meet new constituents. So some basic level of information existed well before the big data revolution. But now we have databases of votes going back as far as a person's voting history goes. We have information going house by house, block by block, of who lives where, what their demographic information is, uh, things as simple as do they own a credit card, do they own or do they rent, uh, what uh, industry do they work in, where do they come from, what was the political situ situation where they used to live. All of these factors, uh, statistical models can be weighted to indicate whether they're more or less likely to vote for a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent. And 
serve I just the government. I to add one more, is like our purchase patterns. Yes. They absolutely. collect our, um, our Amazon purchase patterns, for example. For example, when things that we buy, maybe certain books that we choose to buy, will determine what our positions are likely to be interested in. Is race and religion part of the study book? It is. They, they do. By law, you're not allowed to take some of those things into account, but it's information that's known, and you can put a weight on it and say a person who is of a certain descent is, uh, say, 90% of people who are of that descent are members of this party, so if you have somebody of that descent, nine-tenths chance, looking at nothing else, that they are a member of that party. You're getting into your reform, but your name is Fab Districts. So I'm assuming you think the situation now is unfair? So right. <laughs> I'm right on that. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So can you tell us why you believe you think it was unfair now? Okay, well, the general understanding of voting in a democracy is that the party with the most votes has the public mandate, and they're going to be entrusted by governing the polity. If the polity is constructed in such a way that this doesn't happen, then a subclass is being granted power contrary to the will of the people. That, frankly, is not fair. Uh, let's look at 2012. In 2012, the Republican Party won 49% of the votes in the congressional races. They won 72% of the seats. Democrats' average vote percentage in their district, 76.7%. The Republican average was 58.6%. So that would indicate packing of yes. Democrats if you have a higher amount in the district. The end result was that of the 18 districts, Pennsylvania elected 13 Republicans and 5 Democrats in a state where Democrats won more votes for Congress. I think, and something that makes me think about too is one might argue that, oh, Republicans should be really happy with this. Their party is in power. But the problem is, is that whenever districts are drawn to favor the incumbents, they don't have any challengers. So there are plenty of Republican constituents who are not happy with the Republican establishment at this moment. They can't, the Republicans cannot vote out the Republican incumbents because there's no challengers. So they can't hold the voters, or they can't hold the uh, party, or at least their representative, accountable. And so. if a legislator doesn't go along with the party lines and agree to what the leadership wants to do, the leadership draws their district out and they're gone. Their house, they draw their, it's been known in Pennsylvania that the leadership has uh, drawn a particular um, legislator, drawn their, literally drawn their house, their block, out of the district so they no longer can run in the district that they were. Right. Exactly. Like we we, yes, we, we have heard of specific cases where um, on both the Republican and the Democratic side, rank and file didn't go along with what the leaders wanted. And so that person is just they can't get anything done, they're not allowed to do anything, and the next election that person's out based off of what the party leader decide, party leadership decides. Now, I do have, um, I believe, two notes of concern right now. Um, first things first, uh, I do believe we live in a republic, um, not a democracy, so it, I just usually pretty anal about that one. Um, it, it doesn't really affect that much in this frame of debate, but um, yeah. Now, in terms of the other piece of this, in terms of um, 
the voting patterns based on pe where people live. Uh, Democrats do generally live in more concentrated areas. Republicans do generally live in more uh, spread out areas. So it is definitely possible that if we had like fair districts um, and such like that, that there might simply be like um, less Democrat <coughs> districts or more Republican districts or the other way around just based on location. Uh, I would have to say it's definitely probably ridiculous now uh, in Pennsylvania, probably in New York, and probably a large a large area of the U.S. But when um, gerrymandering is removed, there's still going to be like it's still going to look a little odd. Oh right. yeah, absolutely. But we have situations in Pennsylvania right now. Oh, the, city, the city of Reading. I, I don't know if you know anything about the city of Reading. Does anybody know anything about Reading? Are Chime you, in. Are you referring to the fact that Reading is the poorest like city and it's connected to this district on the other side? Right. It's it also, the line around. It's one of the poorest school systems in the country, not just Pennsylvania. It's one of the poorest populations in Pennsylvania, and its entire um, um, the map has been drawn to exclude it from the community that it would actually have a voice in, and it has been latched on to the uh, Lancaster, which is farms, Chester, which is horse. Territory. I mean, these are broad generalizations, but so the folks, the, the majority of the people of, of Chester and Lancaster are not really caring about how schools are in Reading. That means that the people of Reading are not getting fair representation. Also, going back to your question about uh, Democratic and Republican self-sorting, the population of Philadelphia, Delaware, and Montgomery counties, when combined, are just slightly greater than the population of four congressional districts. Those counties are split in such a way that seven congressmen represent them. Given the political breakdown of Delaware, Montgomery, and Philadelphia counties, it is exceedingly likely that four districts drawn out of those three counties would elect four Democrats. They are currently represented by four Republicans and three Democrats. Montgomery County is, is large enough to be one district in and of itself, and it used to be, and now it's carved up in four pieces. So the, five. Five, five. Five. So the people of Montgomery County are fractured between all these lawmakers who only have a little bit of interest in what's going on in that area. And in addition to that, it's carved up in such a way that school districts are divided. So that you don't even have a representative representing a given school district. They're only representing a portion of the school district and may not really be that interested in advocating for it. And of the five representatives that represent Montgomery County, not one of them lives in Montgomery County. No. Um, so we're trying to get to this ideal district that's fair and competitive, um, but also something that represents the people within that district. Is there any type of tension between having something that's like competitive where a Republican or a Democrat could win or an independent um, versus having a district that really represents a cohesive homogenous community so that it's not lumped in with like this more uh, competitive framework? There certainly can be. There are, there are some areas where no matter how you draw the district, one party or the other is going to have an overwhelming advantage because 
that's the breakdown of the populace there. The goal of fair districts is to not to have 18 districts that are 50-50. That's not feasible. That's not even necessarily good. What we want is for the state to reflect its citizens rather than to reflect the will of the party leaders and the donors who fund them. I think I have a, probably a really even simpler way to say it. Uh, essentially, we want to have districts that look like some sort of shape and not like uh, a salamander. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Or like Goofy kicking Donald Duck. Back in the 50s and 60s, the 7th Congressional District's borders mapped almost exactly to the borders of Delaware County. Now it's spread out across five counties, including several that aren't even inner ring suburbs of Philadelphia. So. Is, is there a kind of racial element to this? In Pennsylvania, there is less of a racial element. In other states, there is much more of one. Uh, North Carolina is a very strong example, or very strong recent example, where uh, the courts, when they ordered redrawn districts in North Carolina, said that the gerrymander in North Carolina targeted African Americans with, quote, almost surgical precision. And obviously there are other states where that has been even greater in the past. Uh, several states that were required to submit their districts for pre-clearance under the Voting Rights Act. But Pennsylvania, the district issues right now are being looked at primarily as partisan. Well, you said target with surgical precision. I want to know what you meant by that. Uh, That's what the court said. Yes. Yeah, what, does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? They had uh, demographic data, uh, population data, that showed where the uh, African American population lived, and they were able to draw districts that packed the African American population so severely that rather than elect a reasonable number of representatives, and I don't have any Carolina members on hand right now, they were at least one or two representatives shy of where they would have been with even a reasonably partisan gerrymander, let alone what they had. There is one district in North Carolina that basically draws a big stripe halfway across the state to stitch African-American communities of hundreds of miles apart together. So instead of influencing maybe four or five districts and having four or five legislators who care about their interests, you'll only have one that cares about their interests. Exactly. Well, and one could argue, but you have the population spanning 100 miles, so you know the interests up here could be different than the sure. interests down here. So just because they're all African American doesn't mean they all mean so the same the city, thing. So right. Yeah, right, exactly. Different water table issues, different school district issues, yeah, any number needs. of other factors that come into play. And uh, another example is uh, this is not a racial gerrymander, it's a partisan gerrymander, but Wisconsin. Uh, the way Wisconsin drew their maps, uh, they calculated that under any reasonable uh, circumstance where people would go to the polls, the Republicans were guaranteed 59 of the 99 seats. 
there was essentially no way that they would lose any more than four seats. It sounds like a lot of this, uh, a lot of the gerrymandering is partisan. But on your commission, it seems like you actually give voice to people who have partisan bias in the fact that you have four Republicans and four Democrats. If much of this is partisan, would it not be better to have a commission where nobody was affiliated, where basically it could be, even, or even computers, where everything is basically completely objective in selecting these particular maps, as opposed to having any type of uh, consideration for politics? Well, it's really interesting because um, the draw the, the Committee of 70 has a project right now called Draw the Lines, and the Draw the Lines project is uh, encouraging regular citizens to come up with their own maps and present them. And um, basically, we're, the intent is to flood the uh, Pennsylvania lawmakers with alternative maps and say, look, I've done a better job. So we have schools that are going to be entering this contest. It's a contest with uh, cash prizes. Um, we have schools, uh, uh, communities entering this opportunity of drawing maps that make more sense. And um, with that education of what makes more sense, I think the combination of that and a, a commission that is actually rep more fairly representative of the population that it'll work out. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that um, that's spoken of in the draw the lines is you. Computers are really, really helpful, but they can't do everything. They can't figure everything out. There's still elements of a community that need to be brought in, like of desires within that community that need to be brought in. That's the human element that you still required. And one of the things with draw the lines is, yeah, you have you get up to enter all this data and and to draw the maps the way you want. And, you know us individuals can play with it once it's available, but there's a specific aspect to it of you need to spend maybe, it depends on how interested you are in playing with it, you need to spend maybe a half an hour to an hour to two hours uh, tweaking it to um, meet different human needs, different desires of different communities. And everyone will have, and there's another part, I mean, we're all generally biased. I think it's, it's difficult to get someone who's completely objective. And I think that's, you know, the the commission is attempting to replicate our, uh, the populace of the state, where, you know, you're trying to get different viewpoints in there and forcing compromise. But, you know, so whenever um, Fair, Fair District's PA, we were working on um, outreach at the elections last week, and some people said to me, well, nothing's nonpartisan. I was like, yeah, you're right, because we're in a nonpartisan organization. Yeah, you're right. Individuals within the organization hold our own viewpoints, but we're not trying to project that viewpoint into the overall organization. We're stick, strictly, stick, strictly sticking with these districts are not fair. We want it fair. We want, it, we want compromise. We want impartiality. We want independence. But we have to recognize that there are certain biases that will always kind of be there, and that's why we got to work together to overcome those. One of the things that the commission is going to be tasked with doing is having town halls and citizen input all over the state on a regular basis so that communities can speak to what their needs are and what their desires are as well. And while that does exist now, you know, they're supposed to, but you know how they twist things with the lawmakers, they end up advertising for like a half an hour on 
some newspaper that no one reads, right, to say, oh yeah, public event. Uh, but the idea here is if we make the commission independent, you know, then we take the lawmakers' hands off of it, there's less of, uh, there's more of a reason to follow the law than they have now because these people in this commission, they're going to be citizens like you and I. Uh, we're just going to apply, you know, there are certain qualifications, but we're not going to be lawmakers, we're not going to be lobbyists, we're not going to have our hands in the legislative pot, therefore we're more likely to be objective, more likely to adhere to the rules that we put out in place. And this commission also is designed on what's currently being done in California, and it's been very successful, it's being done in Arizona, and actually it's what most European countries do as well, we're one of the only democracies that allow our legislators to draw that, in most cases it is citizen commissions that are tasked with doing that. What are the odds that this is going to happen? Well, you have to fight with your fellow congressmen and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's what our organization is all about. We're trying to educate our fellow citizens, um, and we're just trying to make enough noise that our legislators will finally listen to us. And here's, I mean, I like, uh, I wish I could, uh, Chris from? Satulo. Satulo. Uh, I like how he describes it. He talks about, like, the Swiss Army night. Like, we have all these different ways of trying to get this accomplished. There's um, litigation going on currently. There's the Fair Districts PA with this constitutional amendment. Uh, there's going to be the draw the lines, which is getting hopefully going the the monetary incentive to do that for the prizes is hopefully going to get a lot of excitement out of people. So there's all these different ways of of trying to get get this to work and get this to move. So so in order to get this to happen in Pennsylvania. Um, it takes a constitutional amendment, and that means that it has to pass the legislature twice before it can come to vote um, by by the voters. Um, so this needs to pass by the next by the 2018 July, the, by the end of July 2018. It has to pass through the legislature, and then it has to pass again in 2019 in order for in 2020 us voters have the opportunity to vote on. We, uh, we recognize this is an uphill battle. Um, we're, our job as Fair Districts Pennsylvania is to stir up a lot of stuff, you know, to just keep talking about it, keeping it in the media, keeping people um, asking questions and brainstorming and seeing the, the problems that the current situation have created. And frankly, I think we've done a decent job of that because you know, who would have, a year from a year ago, I don't think that many of us would have thought of gerrymandering as a sexy topic. But lately, it's on the news all the time. There's been meetings, public meetings that have been held where 800 folks show up. You know, it's constant, and that's exciting. In addition to that, there is now a number of different court cases. Both the Supreme Court of the, of the U.S. is hearing the court uh, the case about Wisconsin, which is Gil Gildy Whitford. Whitford. Um, and then there's two different cases happening in Pennsylvania right now, which you are much more able to talk about. I, yeah, I primarily want to speak to the League of Women, Women, the League of Women Voters versus the Pennsylvania General Assembly. In that case, the League of Women Voters contends that when drawing the congressional districts, uh, state officials manipulated the boundaries to entrench a Republican delegation, the 13-5 split we were talking about earlier. The case was filed in Commonwealth Court, 
and they were asking for the maps to be thrown out and to order new maps in time for the 2018 elections. State Republican officials had tried several tactics to delay this. Uh, they requested a delay until the disposition of Guilty Whitford, uh, which the League of Women Voters opposed because Gill addresses issues under the U.S. Constitution. The League of Women Voters case is being brought based on the strictures in the Pennsylvania Constitution, which has different and stricter criteria. Uh, the Commonwealth Court actually tried to delay a great deal in uh, pushing this forward. At one point, they basically said, we're not going to rule in time for the 2018 elections. The League of Women Voters petitioned the Pennsylvania Supreme Court for extraordinary relief, and just a week or two ago, uh, a majority of the Supreme Court ordered that relief. Yeah, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Uh, they required the Commonwealth Court to conduct proceedings and issue their findings by no later than December 31st. And that would provide an opportunity for either new maps to be created and put into place, or, let's be honest, more likely an appeal to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to be resolved <laughs> in time for the 2018 election. Uh, they used a few different criteria to set forth uh, their objections to the map, uh, one of which was the efficiency gap, which, uh, Sarah, I think you, you are much better prepared to talk about this than I am, but I'll chip in as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I, don't, I actually don't know that the PA um, case is using the efficiency gap. I did. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. one of the four criteria they use. Okay, so the efficiency gap is basically a measure of the number of wasted votes uh, from one party versus the other. And if you have a, a, a number over a certain threshold of wasted votes, that would that would suggest that there is a partisan gerrymander. What's, a wasted vote? What's that? What is that? A wasted vote is anything over fifty-one percent. So you only need fifty-one percent of the vote to win a district. So if a if if um, Democrats say from the example earlier win a district by seventy-six percent, that's what twenty-five wasted twenty-five percent wasted votes. So you don't need all that. So that would suggest there that you have a packing situation as, as a gerrymander. By the same token, any vote for a losing candidate is also considered a wasted vote. Right. So the efficiency gap is calculated as the total wasted votes for one party minus the total wasted votes for the other party divided by the total number of votes in that district. And uh, in 2012, the efficiency gap in Pennsylvania was 24.5%, which is the highest in the nation. Yeah, I think what they're what the what statisticians are proposing the um, efficiency gap be set at is seven percent. Wow. Yeah, and that's based off of a number of they've run plot, plots, mm -hmm. millions of different maps, and that's how they generated that seven percent is mm -hmm. the threshold. Another test that is used that is uh, has been brought up in the Pennsylvania case, but not the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court case, is the mean median test. Uh, that test is relatively simple. You figure out which party you think is being targeted in the state. You figure out their median vote share, just sort the districts in the state by party vote percentage and pick the middle district, and compare it to the average vote share for the state. Obviously, zero difference is ideal. A difference of roughly 3 to 4% is generally reasonable. 
a difference of five to six percent is indicative of actual structural issues in the uh, way the districts are drawn. In 2012, Pennsylvania's mean median gap was 7.7 percent. It was the fifth largest in the nation. Yeah, and one of the reasons that we are so heavily gerrymandered in the state is because we are one of, I guess, the few remaining swing states. So we're we are a state where they inject tons of money so that they can own, so that those in power can own the maps, so that they can effectively kind of rig the system in a way that diminishes the citizen's voice and gives, gives all the power to those who are injecting money into the system. Uh, so that's why, that is why Pennsylvania is consistently one of the highest gerrymandered is because there's the most bang for your buck here, given that we're a swing, a swing state. It also doesn't help that in each of the past two uh, redistrictings, uh, Republicans had control of both uh, the Assembly and the Senate, and they had control of the governorship. And they had control of the state Supreme Court, which also comes into play. Well, and so this so. leads on to a separate thing, is 2020. So, um, Democrats believe, the Democrat leader, the Democratic leaders believe that 2020 is going to be the Democrats' turn to gerrymander in the Democrat favor because uh, the, the way the whole process is, the PA Supreme Court has a hand in it. And while our Supreme Court is supposed to be nonpartisan, we all know it isn't, we vote for our judges in this state which, by party, which, which is messed up in itself. There's only um, seven states in the union where you actually vote for your judges. So I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons that this PA course was given um, was given extraordinary relief. It was it was four to three. There are four Democrats, three Republicans on our PA Supreme Court. So it's and stacked Democrat yeah. now. And if the if the Supreme Court gets to put their hands in the pot of gerrymandering, they have a, they have a large play in it because. The existing commission that draws the maps, it is um, two, two from uh, two party leaders, party leaders on either side, each, uh, and then there's body. a fifth person that those two groups are supposed to agree on. They never do. So the third, the that fifth person is picked by the PA Supreme Court. You have two mm -hmm. Democrats, two Republicans. The PA Supreme Court's going to be like, oh, Democrats, and then you have three Democrats on the commission, two Republican. Democrats are going to get to gerrymander. And again, Democrats may argue, great, fantastic, like, I want that, I want this to be, I want us to be a democratic state. But the thing is, is again, it's going to favor those in power. It's not going to favor, it's not going to favor rank and file that actually want to do what their constituents want them to do. It's again, it's going to, it's going to go back to money. Whoever's throwing the money at the party leaders, that's where the, the legislation is going to go, not towards the people. So in either case, no one wins. It makes it hard for other people to run for office and try to break in because everything's stacked against them. Yeah. yeah. So and, uh, in, in 2010, uh, Operation Red Map or Project Red Map was the big thing. Right. What kinds of opposition to fair districting are you guys seeing? Like, do they have names? Do they have lots of money? Well, I think, and I don't know the names, names but I know, I know that there's, there's, yeah, well, I, I thought he was asking about the, what's, what's 
currently stated for this next one, like Red Map 2020. Uh, yeah. Dems are doing Advantage 2020. Yes. Um, there's some talk about like Eric Holder and, and Obama. I think that's that, called the National Re uh, National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Yeah, commission. And we don't. We we those of and or in a in leadership in our organization as well as uh, individuals within the organization have looked at that, and we don't see that as being a fair. That well, seems like that's going to be a let me speak to that. So the yeah. so the Obama Holder organization that. Um, uh, they are advocating um, reform, they're advocating uh, voter registration, they're advocating voter education and, and civic engagement, and they're advocating um, uh, moving districts from red to blue, right? And that's their kind of platform across the, the country. So when we spoke to them, when the director of uh, Fair District, Carol Penholm, spoke to the director of that organization, whose name I can't remember, when we when um, these two directors spoke, they we asked very specifically, what is your plan for Pennsylvania? The plan for Pennsylvania is nothing about redistricting reform. It is nothing about um, civic engagement. It is nothing about any of those things. It's only we just want to get Dems in office. And that's when we realized that we, our organization, Fair Districts PA, we're actually looking to heal democracy. I mean, that sounds, you know, crazy, but that's kind of the mindset that we go in there with, is that there is something really precious about the democracy that our founding fathers, and hopefully some others, created. And we want to go back to every vote, every person has a vote. And right now, we don't have that. I want to get back to the question that I had asked. So if the goal is fair districts, I understand all the concerns about making sure that rural districts and urban districts are all represented. But if the goal is to actually have competitive districts where people are actually going to have to fight for that district, is the best way not to move all the people out and just find some statisticians who can calculate the odds of districts being within that 7% uh, range and then just create districts where they all are competitive, which would then mean that the politicians would actually have to campaign and fight in order to actually get into office, thereby holding them accountable. So you're going back to saying, make this all computer generated. All computers, you can actually have an algorithm, put that in there, and you would have districts where 18 or 16 or whatever it is, you'll know that no one will have a partisan advantage of more than, say, 7 to 10%. And even if you do that, you possibly could still have it be a suburban district, an urban district, or maybe not urban, but you'd be able to have districts that are much more competitive uh, as opposed to the districts where somebody can run for 30 years and win unopposed half the time. I'd have to go back to what I stated previously. Unfortunately, I don't have enough. That's mm -hmm. something that I'd have to go and research more about. I see where you're coming from, mm -hmm. but um, there, I, I work in computers mm -hmm. and we are always, while, we, while uh, our methodologies generally work, 80% of the time, there's that 20% of the time that doesn't work. We always have our hands in the methodology within my company and our statistical methodologies. So while we, while the concept and the thought of 
artificial intelligence just taking over the whole process. It's just not, I don't, I don't think it's technically feasible, at least not in our current environment, because our, our hands have to be in it somewhere fixing things. Also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Fair District spoke, but I don't know that it's um, necessarily, maybe, maybe I'm taking the way that you described competitively and correctly, but when I hear you say competitively, I think Republican, Democrat, but it's not just that, it's also competitive um, incumbent has to raise has to raise against a challenger within their own part. Like they have to be primary challenge. Yeah. So, you know, while I'm sorry, Alex. Alex earlier brought up about, you know, there's some there is some self-selecting, you know, it, it even in that environment, you don't have primary challengers to even, you know, supposedly my party representative represent, represents me, but I can't hold my party representative uh, accountable because there's no one running against that person. Um, so that's the best argument I can give, and, and I do know that there are human elements that a computer can. Maybe you have something. Yeah, added. One, yeah. one small thing I want to add is that a computer's algorithm is only as good as the person who created it. Yeah. So having that level of human oversight at the end of the process, allowing people to look at it, to vote on it, to make sure that it actually is good is pretty necessary because a computer can create, obviously, fair and competitive districts. With a well-programmed piece of software, you can create two, three, four, five thousand competitive, you know, district maps. Millions. All of which, yeah, millions even. <laughs> all of which meet all of the criteria you would want. Part of the benefit of having that human oversight is being able to decide amongst them because certain things are almost impossible to capture by a computer, like communities of interest. And if you have people looking at it at the end and saying, of these maps, this is the best, and here's why we believe it's the best, then you're not just picking one at random and hoping that it's good. You have some way of stepping in and really you know, putting something behind it. One more question before we wrap up. Just, uh, I don't know how many in the room have worked on a campaign. I've worked on four, cam four campaigns. Um, the most important thing to someone running for office is getting elected. The second most important thing is getting reelected. So uh, you have to. You're, you're, what you're what you're trying to do it makes a lot of sense. But there 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 are computer programs out there that are for sale all the time, that supposedly guarantees the fact that you will get elected and then get reelected. And, and people have gone to jail for buying and selling those computer programs. So it, it's not, you're, you're, you're fighting against a very difficult, Yes. There, there are things in politics called the third rail. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things in politics about the third rail is they don't want you guys messing with their ability to get reelected. Exactly. And that's that's so just to wrap it up, because we have to the hour, um, if people are interested in your group, who do they contact? What website would they go to? We have all that information on there, so but so they would go to Fair Districts PA website and there's a tab that says join and you plug in your address and your zip code and it will um, you'll be your information will be sent to your local group 
So if you, for those who are here on campus, your local group would come to us, the representatives in this room, just by this zip code. If you use your home address, some other part of Pennsylvania, you're, there's groups across the state, across the entire state. Uh, other ways you can do this, text Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, to 94253 uh, to register. Uh, Third Districts PA has a Twitter handle at Third Districts PA and a Facebook page, same name. Uh, you can search us on Facebook and all sorts of good information there as well. Well, thank you folks for a very interesting hour. Very quickly.